You're listening to Out of Nowhere, a series featuring emergent brands with somewhat unexpected origins. Your host is Justin Watkins of Native Digital, a marketing firm specializing in brand messaging and performance media. Let's jump in. When it comes to Kiel Labs, I think our, our like our founding story uh, is quite unique in that I didn't grow up striving to be an entrepreneur or knowing that I had to have a company or try to change the world in this larger way. Um, in terms of how things kind of got started, it was more of um, a, a thought experiment. And so at the time, myself and my co-founders were working uh, in the fashion industry and in textiles and very uh, circuitously had come across this um, competition where we met basically as strangers. And we wanted to look into what the problems of the fashion industry were and what would a solution have to look like in order to solve that problem. So we set these pretty strict bounding boxes in terms of what you would need from a design perspective, what you need from a consumer perspective, what you need from supply chain, from impact, and came to find that seaweeds are brilliant and amazing. There's these polymers that are readily available, amazing. And so we created this concept, um, which we started off calling AlgineNet. Um, and from there, it started kind of snowballing. So we ended up winning this competition. We started getting outreach from brands to these, you know, basic novices around some ramen noodle type yarns. And there came a point where it was a matter of, okay, we take this seriously and we actually try to tackle this problem or we just continue down the standard path in the careers that are pretty well paved. And obviously we chose the, <laughs> the path of uh, novelty and change instead of what was before. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, so forgive me for a little bit of ignorance because I'm a little bit outside of this industry, mm. but what you're producing with seaweed um, is replacing, is it mostly cotton? Is it, uh, synthetics? Uh, what, what's the replacement? Yeah. So I think this is a really interesting question and kind of brings up a larger shift in the industry, but mm -hmm. in a simple way, we're replacing the natural fibers that we're now, you know, very accustomed to that being said, the way that we think about it is less of a replacement and more of an expansion. Mm. So the reliability and consistency and accessibility of the materials that we know, primarily on the natural spectr spectrum because of increased demand and because of climate change are decreasing. And in order to actually have a truly sustainable and sustainable in terms of longevity, sustainability uh, supply chain, you need to diversify that and expand the access. So we say that Kelsen, which is our fiber and our yarn, functions as the new natural. Yeah, I like that. I like that framing. Um, I think a lot of people, nobody's going to say, oh, we don't need another option. People love options. Um, but sometimes you you'll, that. 
but sometimes you will run into opposition when you say, hey, we're replacing something, meaning because it implies that this is bad, uh, when in fact, it's good for a reason. We use it for a reason. But hey, are there other options out there? Is there something that has other benefits? Exactly. Um, and I think as well, there's a lot of um, resistance and also commitment to the things that we're very familiar with. And so even though those things in a lot of cases are actually quite bad, the reality of the world we live in today versus the reality of the world we know we want to be getting to in 10, 15, 20 years is much different. So how yeah. do we support that? Not everybody's ready for the future just yet. They want to see other people use it and before they start to switch over for it. So you have people who are reaching out to you, it sounds like, and there's and you have a value prop that they're very interested in. What what are those, what are the reasons why they're reaching out? What what's exciting to them? Yeah, I mean, of course, the motivations of every individual are quite different, but the consistent through line there is really around uh sustainability and impact. So that's kind of your your first point of entry is we all know we cannot sustain ourselves with the materials and with the systems we currently have. So what is something that decreases that impact? That brings the interest. But then, and especially over the last couple of years, as the industry has evolved, it's become that shift of we know that for our businesses to survive, we need to expand that reliance into new fields and new resources. So it's it's really a combination of those two things. Yeah. If you were just comparing uh, cotton to seaweed, what, what are some of the differences that you see? I mean, they're grown in completely different environments, but what else, what, what nuance would you add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, inherently, despite what a lot of people want to think, when you replace something with something entirely different and new, it's never going to be one-to-one -one the same. But the thing that we really focus on is maintaining the same look and feel, the familiarity that we all love. There's a reason why we use things like cotton, linen, hemp, whatever there are other fibers. But the key difference there is that instead of taking, uh, you know, massive tons of water to produce fertilizers, pesticides, degrading the land, having runoff, all of those types of things. The beauty of seaweed is that it's grown in the environment that requires no additions to it. It's naturally occurring. And so because of that, you eliminate the need for additional water, any type of fertilizers, any type of chemicals. And uh, it's very abundant uh, and, yeah. and much fast, faster paced when it comes to growth. Yeah. Anybody who's outside of agriculture probably doesn't understand how important that is, what you just said. I mean, the inputs that are used in any kind of farming of any sort, whether it's food or materials, it's it's massive. And in some cases, uh, not only expensive, but very harmful and is on land that is, you know, it's an expansive amount of land. So, And it's capped, right? There's only yes. so land that exists. I mean, same thing with our water, but we pretty much capped the agricultural landscape that we have access to, particularly when it comes to monoculture crops. Um, and so the more we're able to diversify the ecosystems we're working with and diversify the raw materials that come from that, the easier it will be to live and coincide with nature instead of killing everything and everyone. 
Yeah. Crazy idea though. So you uh, meet some people who are aligned with you, even though you didn't know them before you go to this competition, you win the competition and people start approaching you. Who are some of these, like, who, who, what are those conversations? Like who is reaching out to you? Who are like the early adopters of this or the ones who seem to be like, they will be kind of the first to uh, align with you on that team. Who's most interested in this? Yeah. So that was quite a number of years ago at this point, that was Mm -hmm. around six years ago. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of change when it comes to interest adoption and luckily and maybe unluckily, we're in the right place at the right time when this has become a much greater necessity. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really interesting, especially in those early days, was seeing that these, you know, massive multinational brands were really in need of change and having departments or, you know, even members of their teams to reach out, whether that was to us or, or other ideas or companies to kind of solve the the major business risks that they were facing showed us that this wasn't just something that was nice to have, that this was a problem that the industry in and of itself was in a crisis about. If you can't solve it and you're a billion dollar you know corporation, what does that mean for the state of the planet and the industry at large? Yeah. Were there in those early conversations or maybe even still today, were there do you come across misconceptions where they just don't fully understand maybe what you're trying to accomplish or, or the way that you're trying to accomplish it? Oh, I mean, all the time. Absolutely. Uh, every day still. Um, but I, I don't think that those misconceptions are for a lack of, uh, good intent. Um, I think it's, a lot of it is is a matter of misunderstanding. So yeah. the biggest one that I see that is really a, an ongoing conversation with the industry as a whole, which is that um, you want to change everything. So you know that you need something to be living in a circular economy. It needs to be readily available. It needs to you know, reduce, if not completely remove CO2. All of these changes, it needs to be compostable, blah, blah, blah. And you also wanted to do the exact same things. So a lot of the conversations or or things that we hear is, I want it to last forever. I want it to do the same thing that a polyester does, for example, but I also want it to go away. And we have to have these conversations of, you can't have both. You, You want it to go away, it also can't last forever. So where is the middle ground that we all need to get to, to make that work? Yeah. That's interesting. So we've had conversations on this podcast. Anybody who's listening will remember us talking to Sway. Uh, yeah, we love Sway. Uh, Notpla uh, out of the UK. Yes. Oh. Cirque, who's more about taking um, existing uh, materials that are already in circulation, right? Um, and then even just recently, we talked with one that is basically using financial incentives to promote sort of buying secondhand um, and in some ways sort of trying to get away from fast fashion. And when you talked about, well, we want it to last forever, but it needs to go away. It, that's the first time I've heard someone uh, hint towards the fact that maybe fast fashion will be able to live on as long as it uses the right materials potentially, right? Like I, 
I don't necessarily align with that trend, but if we want it, we're going to have to have the right materials for it to persist. We can't just keep that uh, trend going on with the wrong materials. Um, exactly. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah. That uh, uh, So I, yeah, I'm sure that you're, uh, you're meeting all types of different people who are trying to figure out different applications. And yeah, it's like, we want everything of the old and sometimes even the cost, like we need the cost to be like yeah. this basement price, right? Even though this is brand new uh, sort of technology, if you will. Um, so yeah, I imagine that you are running into all types of conversations. Is there any yeah. others that you'd love to clear up? Like if they're listening in, you'd be like, hey, by the way, let me just put this out <laughs> into the world. Oh, I mean, I'm sure that there is, I mean, there's so many, and especially around the idea of fast fashion. Uh, I feel like I have so, so many thoughts on that. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think around that, it goes with that. Again, it's like that that conflict of what we're used to versus what we actually yeah. need and what is required. Yep. And especially when it comes to the way that business models for a lot of companies work is that, as you're saying, like that fast fashion mass consumption. And if that is the thing that we are all accepting in a way, and by accepting means not dramatically changing yesterday, then we need to understand how, if that must continue, can that actually work with our natural ecosystems? And how do we not continue to deplete that? And I think that there is a lot of misalignment when it comes to where things are today and where things need to be in 10 years and that it's okay to take steps to get there, but those steps do need to be taken. Yeah. Um, are there, are there applications um, with the seaweed based yarn that you feel like is like, it's great for this today. And there's other things that are going to be down the road. Cause that's challenging, right? Like the expectations of what we have to do. That's challenging. We're just not going to approach that yet. Cause we can do the easy stuff today. Are there certain applications that you say, Oh, it's great for this right now. Hmm. I mean, I think for Pelson in particular, what we're really targeting is the apparel market. And as much as possible, those um, essential items to your wardrobe, because when you look at impact, as much as we're able to uh, supply or provide to that end, the more beneficial that is when it comes to the overall impact we're able to have. Um, and so I think for the short term, that's really interesting and, and where we really want to see ourselves go. That being said, the beauty of fibers in a way, and I'm very biased, <laughs> of course, but the beauty of fibers is that they don't just stop at yarn or even at textiles or at apparel. Um, so many things around us are created with either textiles or fibers, the seats that you're sitting on a lot of times, the insulation in your walls. I have some, you know, felt uh, soundproofing here, your cotton swabs, your makeup wipes, your diapers, your, you name it. Um, and so obviously each application has its own very specific demands and that tailoring takes time. But for us as much as possible, if we're able to explore these adjacencies while using similar technologies, similar supply chains, the better for everything. Yeah. 
this you mentioned this being it sounds like around about a six-year journey what have been some of the hurdles that you've cleared that you're like man i'm so glad we've gotten past that one we're really proud of the team for getting past that one that's a very good question i mean every day comes with its own new <laughs> and beautiful hurdles um but i would say um One of the most exciting was, you know, after we had, you know, decided to start the company and, you know, we, we went through an accelerator program, came back, we raised our, our seed round at the time and hired uh, a couple of wonderful scientists and, and PhDs to work with us. And they came in and you know, basically they were given the task of here's the foundational technology. Now, you know, how do we work together to ensure that this is actually a, a functioning process and product? And I feel like the looks on their face that, you know, first and second day were like, what, what did we sign up to? But, you know, a year later, having produced uh, filament fibers that we were then able to, you know, turn into textiles and really showcase the viability was such an exciting moment that, you know, really built out that motivation for us, for the team. And then further from that, and, and really where we are today is being able to create staple fibers and yarns and showcase not just various textile constructions, knits and wovens, but products like every single day we get something, you know, a new development or something that we're working on, the excitement and motivation and just thrill. I mean, for myself, I feel like I cry every time. Uh, and it's it's really cool to see something come from concept and the potential to a real world product that you can share and, and have other people feel and touch and experiences. I don't think ever not going to be inspiring. To yeah, that, that's super cool. Because when you see it, not only is it cool right here, but you can picture like what that's going to do down the road. And then I think your role is to like share that vision with other people because they may not see that. They may not see like how important that thing is that we just did, but you can already see five, 10 years down the road what it is. And then it yeah, can often I be mean, frustrating they, when they don't see the same thing you see, but that's the job is to make sure that they see it. Even in the, in the textile space, but you know, more so when you're working on the R and D side of things, being able to say, look at this, you know, inch and a half of, fiber this is such an incredible beautiful thing it's very hard to imagine for anybody to see what that actually looks like so being able to take it from there into a product i think is at times uh positively shocking yeah well actually that brings up a question i have so in the i think in the clean tech space in general sometimes messaging is a little bit difficult like how do you explain to the outside world why you exist why it's important why they should care. Do you have any tips for other people in the clean tech space on like maybe approaches that have worked for you or maybe, Hey, just don't do that. Like any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a really interesting, challenging and, and cool space in question. Um, I mean, I think that what we've learned and kind of try to continue to remind ourselves is that just because we work in this space doesn't mean that 
most people do as well. And so how do we catch ourselves using jargon that even though it seems like the most simple thing to us really means nothing to a stranger walking by the street. And so one of the kind of core components of our communication is to boil things down and just speak like a normal human being. Like, how would you explain this to a friend? What does that actually mean? If there's something that we are talking about, can we take a moment to explain that? Um, and I think it helps us boil things down, even just for the way that we talk to each other. But I think when you're when you're thinking about and planning for, you know, a, a global shift in the way we think about things, your communication needs to reflect that. And as much as you're able to bring people in, the better. Um, but it is challenging when we're also dealing with all these buzzwords that aren't necessarily defined, oftentimes can be thought of as greenwashing. It's it's a really challenging and convoluted environment when it comes to language. It's why I asked the question. It's it's like, are you using the newest, latest, hippest terms that people are using? Which like you said, sometimes it's like, oh, this is more accurate or wait, is this greenwashing or are we green blushing or yeah. are we green what? <laughs> I mean, even the term sustainability is, mm -hmm. a, I, I don't love it, but I don't have an, another word in English necessarily to explain what I'm trying to say succinctly too. We we were working on a uh, greenwashing versus green blushing versus, you know, a type of uh, cheat sheet for our team and we were going to publish it. I Oh, I love our friend, that. Our friends over at CERT gave us some good feedback and they say, anybody who says these words is, uh, I would like uh, view with caution. It was a long list. Uh -oh, like, what are those words? Did I say all of them? <laughs> no, I'll share afterwards. But <laughs> it, it just shows you that there's like these like landmines all around us because unfortunately there's just like a lot of bad actors or people who are trying to take shortcuts or people who are more talk than action. And it's kind of ruined the language in some ways and has made it like this touchy area. So I like your advice on talking like a real person and like talking to a friend because it keeps us away from being overly corporate or being so grandiose in the yeah. way we talk about things and using all these technical terms that, you know, can have double meanings. So I think that's good advice. We'll see you. <laughs> From somebody who's lived it and seeing the reaction, I think it's good advice. What's been the most rewarding for you so far? Hmm. Well, I think I, I touched a little bit about on, you know, bringing something from concept to tangible product. Um, but I think um, something that maybe isn't talked about enough uh, is the ability to build a team and create a workplace that is, you know, not only providing a place for people to come and, you know, have a clean conscience about what they're doing, um, but also having to, you know, be in a place with a community and a team that is bringing so much energy, so much inspiration are out here, like killing it every day has been so not only a personal win, but I think overall, one of the like big inspirations on the day to day, like when there's a hard day, just knowing that there's a team backing us up and that they're out here is super motivating. If you knew how hard it was, would you have started it? 
Oh yeah, for sure. I probably would have started it soon. <laughs> that's good. That's promising. <laughs> that says something. I think a lot what of people I talk challenge. to. What can I say? Yeah, a lot of people I talk to, they they say, if I knew how hard it was, I probably would have not done it. But I'm glad I did it anyway. That's fair. Yeah. When you look at not only Kill Labs, but just the industry and other players who might be kind of tangential to what you're doing, do you have predictions of what the next five, 10 years look like? Do you do you kind of see where you think the industry or some of these new pioneers are heading? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think predictions, hopes, and expectations are all similar, but but very Always. different. Yeah. But one of the things that I think is really unique about this industry, and by industry, I guess I mean the um, next generation materials and you know overarching impact <laughs> space, I would say, um, is it's really unique because it's acts differently than I think how businesses have interacted before because there's a ton of really incredible, awesome people and companies that are all working towards the same mission. In my perspective, it doesn't feel like you're out here trying to elbow everyone out of the way and bully your way to success. There's this kind of unspoken understanding that my neighbor's success or the person on the road success is mine as well. And the more that you can help to foster and, and bolster this momentum towards positive impact and growth, the better the world will be. And so because of that, I think there's a very different mentality and shift when it comes to what real success looks like. And I think we're going to see a lot more diversity in all senses of the word when it comes to accessibility and um you know the the material space and the agricultural or aquacultural systems that we're working with um that for me is is really exciting and super inspiring to know that you know it's not it's not just going to be one player that dominates the whole world because yeah. that's what got us into this mess to begin with <laughs> I see the same thing. And I, I love how you framed that too. When we, if if we were working with like a SaaS brand, right? Like a really aggressive SaaS brand, like it for us as, as marketers, it's comp audits. We're, we're looking at competition. In clean tech, we're looking at competitors, but we're also looking at peer orgs. The only place you hear the word peer org is in nonprofits. So I thought that was so interesting when you're talking with venture backed groups and they're talking about peer organizations, like they're competitors by most people's standards, but they say, no, 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 we want them to succeed. Um, and that is so different. And it's very unique, I think, to the clean uh, tech sector uh, from, my view, from my viewpoint. And I love it. Uh, I just feel like there's something that supersedes, you know, revenue growth and things like that. There's, there's this bigger mission out there and everybody wants to help. And by the way, it's good for everybody. It's like literally good for everybody. Plus, as the category grows, there's momentum and it's just there'll be more exactly. attention, there'll be more funding, everything's going to go better. So I love the mindset because I think it's very healthy for everybody. Yeah, I mean, and I think that with that as well, really understanding that you're talking about the entirety of our global markets and that, you know, impact and again, for lack of a better word, <laughs> sustainable transformation doesn't 
negate the ability to have a functioning business, to have, you know, massive returns, all of those things that, you know, previously were seen as conflicting, I think are now really being viewed as a necessity for that growth. Yeah. Uh, and it's really exciting to see that kind of transformation and the the market mentality in a way. Yeah. Occasionally I come across people who feel kind of guilty for that. And I, I, I always say, Hey, Hey, don't, this is the engine for getting this out there and it will, it will work. So feel good about it. Make it happen. Don't, don't think twice. And that's the like, only way to create impact. Like yeah. if we're really going to be functioning the same way we are for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. Everybody trusts that you found a better way to do it. You would, this is the best way do it and don't, yeah. don't hold back. Um, I have a prediction that uh, you made a prediction. I'll make a prediction. I think people yeah. listening are going to want to check out Kiel Labs. Where would you point them to if they wanted to learn more? Well, um, most direct way, you can go to our website, www.kiellabs.com, uh, or check out and follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We're always keen to respond to a message, have a chat. So love when anybody reaches out. Yep. I'll vouch for the Instagram uh, feed. Go ahead and follow that guys. So uh, Tessa, thanks for the time. This has been great. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone. We've learned a lot from this podcast series and we put the good stuff in a handful of PDF frameworks. It's topics like messaging, channel strategy, and market fit. You can grab them at nativedigital.com slash resources.